Welcome to the Story Powers Podcast, the show about the power of stories, the people who tell them, and why you should be doing it too. I'm your host, keynote speaker and storytelling coach, Francisco Mafus. My guest today is Ash Raffert. Ash is a story consultant, writer, and certified brand strategist. He runs his own creative agency and is one of the founders of The Story Gym, alongside Michael Kirsten, who was a previous guest on this show. When he's not helping corporate clients or running one of his programs, Ash spends most of his time going viral on LinkedIn, racking up millions and millions of views with his personal vulnerable stories. The rest of the time, he's busy telling all of us why there's no point trying to go viral. Ladies and gentlemen, Ash Raffert. Ash, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. What a great intro. I didn't realize I did that, but it's true. <laughs> And and you know what I don't I don't purposely go out trying to go viral. It's one of those things that happened, and I kind of figured things out. And it all boils down to story or the elements of story. I'm sure we're going to get into, but yeah, and it's so true that going viral isn't the main thing. About it well, it depends on what your objectives are. But from a business point of view, yeah, if you can go viral and you're on brand, then great. But yeah, there is the addiction to go viral and it doesn't do anything for you or your business. If I'm not inventing information that I, I might or might not have researched about you in the last few days, the first time, I'm not sure if you would call that viral, but the first time a post of yours really blew up was at a time when you you weren't doing necessarily well on LinkedIn, right? I think you had just started, you didn't have, you didn't have a massive audience or anything. And I, I think you did a post about your vitiligo and that one, one went kind of crazy, right? That was exactly it, yeah. I've been on LinkedIn for years. I can't remember how long, but like everyone else, you know, you have a LinkedIn profile. It's your your CV online, I suppose. It's a place where you go networking. And I'd log into LinkedIn, I don't know, probably once a month once every two months even, it wasn't the go-to. I wasn't even that much of a social media guy. You know, I didn't really, wasn't really into Facebook. I wasn't into, definitely wasn't into Instagram. I was on LinkedIn just to really connect or keep connected with the people that I used to work with. So yeah, going back to that specific post, it was, I had under 1,000 followers at that time. And there were just connections from previous jobs and things like that and at the time of my skin changing it's you know losing its pigment it was a time of stress and that's why it's kind of kicked off it's an autoimmune condition called vitiligo and it was an autoimmune condition that i always had dormant that lie, lie dormant but then it got kicked off it kicked off with stress so I've not always had this skin condition. I don't know whether you've seen any pictures or I've posted any pictures before of me without the skin condition. I've seen some really weird pictures where your face is, is all the same color. And I'm like, who is this bloke? It took me a while to, to match one thing to the other because just I think we're all gotten so used to seeing your profile picture on LinkedIn that it took me it took me aback a little bit the, the first time the first time I saw it. I love how you I love how you say that. I saw some weird pictures because that's kind of when I look back at my pictures of how I have been for the last 30, 40 years is now weird to me. It looks, yeah, it doesn't look like the same person. 
And funnily enough, my daughter also asked me recently, she's 13, and she said, would you ever want to, because we were looking, we always look at photos and stuff. She asked, would you ever want to have that back? And I was like, I don't know. I think it'd be weird. I, I quite, I've really leaned into it and I've really embraced it. It doesn't hurt that it kind of looks like a superhero mask. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it could, it could look in many different ways, but the way it looks, it, it kind of looks like a superhero mask. So. Yeah. You know, you know, what's funny with vitiligo, it's very much a symmetrical. And I didn't know this until I saw my dermatologist. It's very symmetrical. So whatever happens on one side, it's pretty much the same on the other side. Not exactly the same, but that's what happens. So, you know, I'll have on my elbows, elbows there, knees, feet, everything symmetrical. It's weird. So, yeah, and different people have it in different ways. But, yeah, going back to that post about LinkedIn, it was a point where even before the pandemic, I my clients are all around the world. So mainly... Switzerland, America, and parts of Asia. So I was having video calls all the time. There was a point then where I was making excuses when my skin started changing. I started making excuses not to be on calls. It started happening again and again and again to the point where my clients were like, we've not seen you in ages, Ash, what's happening? And one of my clients did actually ask that. It's weird now going back, trying to think about the chronology of it all, but that was a pivotal moment in terms of really making me talk about it because my wife also saw the change in me my confidence my you know affecting me in in a huge way and then affecting obviously my business because I'm canceling calls and things like that but I was the type of person that never really ever wanted to talk to anyone about it you know counseling or therapy I'm not against it and in in fact I'm even considering it now because I think it's a great thing but it was one of those things before I used to think if I talk about it, it just puts too much focus on the problem. So what I did was I knew my wife was right. So I decided to write this post on LinkedIn because it was a place that I didn't really visit that much. I didn't really care about other than in hindsight, all my clients were there anyway. <laughs> so I wrote this post and it was that kind of the, that, that moment, literally after I posted it, you know, you feel a little bit of remorse after posting and you're thinking what have I done this is not the type of place that should be posting this type of stuff and yeah it like you say it wasn't viral viral but it was viral in comparison to my other posts where I you know I they were doing about 400 500 views impressions now as they rightly called per post and that one did 85,000. I think for most people's, most people's experience with, with LinkedIn, I don't know much about other platforms, but at least for LinkedIn, 80,000 views is a, you know, it's a ton of views. I know people who consistently post and, and do well and get engagement. And, you know, it's, it's very, you know, my case, for example, it's, it's very common for me to get, you know, 7,000, 10,000, 12,000, the occasional 15,000. I don't think I've ever gotten a post to do 80,000 views. So for I think for someone who goes from 500 to 80,000 when you didn't have an audience, when now you have 40 odd thousand followers, now you know arguably you don't need that many people beyond your network to see it to get 80,000 views. Back then, I mean just the math doesn't seem to work. If you understand how the algorithm works, it's like how many people saw this post to begin with that they pushed it out so much. Yeah. And and you know what, let me be clear as well. I, all of my posts don't 
You know, I get the 10,000s, I get 5,000s, I get 20,000, 30,000s. Average is probably around about the 30,000 mark. LinkedIn is quite, I call it generous. I know some people might not agree with me, but I think it prides itself on relevancy. And that's important. It's And it's important not only because it gives everyone a chance to create content that can be potentially be seen by their audience, that's relevant to their audience, but it's also important in terms of, you know, it keeps you on edge. Like you just don't become complacent. Now, don't get me wrong. You'll get accounts that are just have got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers. And quite rightly so, these accounts, like I'll name a few, there's Justin Wells, there's Leah Turner. They're amazing content creators, but they put their work in. What they've done is they've They've taken their audience on a journey up until the point, you know, well, today. Like, so every time they post, it's less about knowing how the algorithm works and more about the tribe that they've built up. And that's massive in, well, not storytelling as such, but brand work that I do as well, brand strategy. So, you know, it's also important with storytelling as well. You've got to have all storytelling on social media. You've got to have those engaged followers. It's not just about followers. It's that word before that engaged followers and that's how you do it it's like you know you're bringing people into your world that connect with you on a deeper level it's almost like yeah that they'll they'll you show up for them and they'll keep showing up for you that's the way i see it i can't remember if it was that post because going back it's difficult to find posts that are that far back but there was one post of yours that was about vitiligo that also if it didn't go viral at least got a, a ton of of traction which was the one that made me realize that your wife is a much better human being than my wife <laughs> because because this is the post about how you had waited a very long time to go to this skin clinic and they basically painted your face to make the whole thing look the same color. And then you got back home, probably feeling pretty chuffed about yourself. And then your wife went like, Ash, this is not you. We were happy with the way you wore, right? Now, no, I don't I don't have vitiligo, but a couple of years ago I started getting my skin started getting really red from from maybe too much sun over the years and then I you know I had some sort of treatment and then my wife said, "Oh, that seems to have worked perfectly well because your face is all kind of the same color now." And I said, "Oh no, it's because the the sunscreen that they applied right after." She asked me if I wanted it with color or without. And I was like, "You know, let's try the color. Let's see what that's like." And she's like, "Oh, so is that what you're wearing now?" I was like, "Yeah." Can you keep doing that? <laughs> I said, sure, sure. I'll put a sunscreen that has a bit of color so my face looks all the same if, if that's if that's what you want. But there you go. See, you know, these are the things you find out that you're not looking for when you do research on other people's content. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that post, again, the chronology of it, I don't remember, but it was definitely... I posted it after I posted that first one and it just made me feel that I can just be vulnerable. I can, and that's that's an important thing to be. I'm not talking about contrived tearjerker stories just for the sake of it. I'm talking about stories that come from the heart and we all have them, right? We all we all have them. We just need to mine for them a little bit more. If you're, you're the type of person that thinks I haven't got any stories, you, you you have got stories. Everyone's got stories. That post did phenomenally well. I think definitely over a million views. And that was, yeah, specifically, there were those moments there. Going back to that first post, 
I naturally write like that just because I have just done storytelling. You know, that's part of my university course. I, I've had a passion for storytelling, but I didn't put two and two together. I When I actually then looked back at that first post, I was like, oh, that's got a little bit of a story arc to it. And, like, it, and then the post afterwards I posted, it was something ridiculous. I can't even remember what, but it didn't do as well. And I was quite arrogant about it. Like, oh, after this one, I'm just going to, keep building and building and it wasn't the case so and i'm not saying it's just about stories like there's content out there that is not written in a story format it's definitely helped me and going back to then that post about my wife and you know about my skin makeup me trying to hide the fact that i've got this skin condition and be the man that i used to be they were all the right elements because i knew that story was working so i wrote it in the way that would be communicated in the best way. And that is by story. Yeah, so this is something I find quite interesting from trying to analyze your content. And we're going to get into some of the stuff you teach other people because one thing that I find very different when I'm looking at at the stuff you write and the stuff I write, for example, is that so there's a few things. One is that a lot of the times you post just a story and not you talking about story or you talking about other things you learned those tend to be of the like slightly bigger, more vulnerable type. So there's, there, there were some, some about Vitiligo, there was some about you lying to a customer, that one did pretty well. So there's there's a lot of them that are about sort of bigger failures or, or bigger moments in your life where you felt that you weren't good enough. What I didn't see as much, at least in the as far as back as I could, I could do the research, was something I do all the time, which is I tend to, I think I post, like on an average, I tend to post more stories than almost anyone else I see uh, around. Mine are almost always small. So I have posted about mental health challenges and I've posted about other things like that, but I tend to post about something my kids said. I tend to post about something I just stumble upon at work. Just because that's now how I, I've learned to communicate, particularly when it comes to, to LinkedIn or when I'm speaking or training other people. Now, when you're talking to, to the people you work with, either through the Story Converter, which was the, the original program you had, and now the Story Gym, are you focusing on the more vulnerable, slightly bigger stories? Or are you trying to help people with the smaller stuff too? Great question. It doesn't have to be the vulnerable. And one thing that when me and Mike started the story gym, we said, and I've said it on a couple of posts as well and comments, the story gym isn't about people coming in and being like me and Mike. It's about them being more them. So, you know, having the confidence to be them, having the confidence to talk about the things that they want to talk about, have the confidence to create content that aligns with their objectives. Now, yeah, those stories have worked for me. And it's a big part of my, I suppose, the, my brand values. My brand values are being kind to yourself, being vulnerable, being transparent, just embracing the real you. That's what my kind of personal brand and personal philosophy is about. That's why those stories I do more of. But going back to your question, it's not what we teach all the time. It's like what we do teach is we teach the fundamentals of storytelling. and. That might be storytelling from a brand strategy, brand overall thing, you know, your positioning. How does your bigger narrative for your your business, for example, 
align with your customer stories because at the end of the day, it's the customer story that we should be focused on when it comes to business. How do you help them? I do say, don't be scared to be vulnerable, but you don't have to be, you don't have to share everything about you and your life. I think you do it well. I think you do it well in terms of the the smaller stories. Like they don't have to be kind of real vulnerable, personal. They're just moments of your life that kind of build up. And what we do teach in the story, Jim, and, you know, in my framework generally, is that especially when it comes to LinkedIn, is that you have that bigger narrative. You have that bigger story. Let's focus on what that is first and then start mining for these smaller stories that fit into this bigger narrative. And the way I, the analogy that I use is like that jigsaw puzzle, jigsaw pieces. So you have that bigger picture, make sure you know what that bigger picture is, and then start feeding your audience with the little jigsaw puzzles and pieces and let them build that picture. And soon enough, they'll see it. Because we see that mistake, don't we, a lot in especially social media, because it's really a challenge to write a story that's succinct and that's going to resonate with people that are pretty much time poor scrolling through. We try putting everything in that one post. We just have so many things going on. And that's a huge mistake. You've got other opportunities to do that. You've got other jigsaw pieces to give to your audience. And once you start building them over time, that's when you know that, that they'll see that bigger picture. And that's when you'll start building your tribe. What I keep struggling with, and this is not just me, but but almost anyone that I know that that knows how to tell stories well, is I'm always surprised that what has happened to me hasn't happened to other people in that I find that in general, being a good writer is much harder than being a decent storyteller. Because if you're a decent storyteller, Usually that just means finding it. Something happened, you realize, okay, this is interesting. Other people are going to find this interesting. There is there is some angles for a business point here. And then usually all you're doing is relating what happened. And if what, ha- if, if what you found is a conversation, then it's even easier because you don't have to have basically any writing skills to just say, you know, I was talking to my wife and then she said, blah, blah, blah. And then you say something, she says something, you say something, story's pretty much over. And then you have a few lines to get your business point. I find that once you know how to find the stories, to be much easier than trying to compose a post out of ideas and lessons and finding a voice that is entertaining to read through, but is not bossy or that doesn't sound you know, super arrogant or something. And some people make the 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 arrogant voice work. And now I'm thinking, Doug Lawson, I'm thinking of you. It's a very particular style. It takes a great writer to do that and amuse people and not just people thinking, who is this knob? Like, why is it, how does he get to talk to me like this? So so I'm always I'm always kind of surprised that that a lot of people don't, particularly when they know how to tell stories, they don't do the this is a story, here's my point more than than the writing like in your case reading through your stuff I'm, I'm i was a bit surprised because you do tell a lot of stories but they tend to be the bigger ones and and a lot of them was like do you really find it easier to just write out the post with a framework which i think you use the one you use often is the hit them framework 
then actually just find a little story to illustrate the point. Yeah, so the little stories, I, th- I think it's important to know the difference between anecdotes and stories, right? So you can get anecdotes that aren't generally stories. They might be a moment in your life where you went to meet your friend, you had a drink with your friend, he lost his key, and then that's it. That's kind of what happened, like the little anecdotes or moments in your life that you kind of zoom into for detail that might then create a bit because you do this well they create a change in your way of thinking or or they ha- it has a message and that's a story and don't get me wrong i have done those small pieces you just don't remember them maybe because they didn't do as well and and a lot of the time as well i'm not ashamed to say this i do repost a lot of my old viral stories i have noticed yes <laughs> go back long enough you start seeing some of it's like i'm sure i've read this one before <laughs> i've got to be careful with that i suppose but because what i'm doing is i'm helping people to tell stories just like yourself i think those bigger stories that do really well they serve as a great example so that's why i focus on those whether it's trying to write them and also reposting them you don't need to be careful with that at all so i repost stuff all the time like i don't tend to repost stories but i have reposted videos i I got lazy this year with with filming this creative stuff that sometimes i do with skits and special effects or whatever and i've reposted i think six or seven of those videos that were kind of an year old and most of them do as well or better than the original ones did. And then I was listening to, I found, I think it was Richard Moore who was talking about this, or whoever is listening to this, no, Richard Moore is a guy that posts a lot about sales and LinkedIn stuff on LinkedIn. He reposts every three months, like every three months. And, and the truth is, even like the people that are you kind of your fans and your community, they're probably going, I think I've seen this one before, right? But, you know, if you're posting every day, I don't think anybody begrudges you from like, I think I read this one six months ago. I was like, sure. I posted a post and um, I just thought, oh, okay, I'll just let it go. And then I had a conversation with someone in my group about reposting old posts you know, he was in the same predicament where he had lots of work and sometimes it's difficult to be creative. Well, a lot of the time it's difficult to be creative. And I said, start reposting old posts. And he had this thing, like many of us do, it's like, yeah, well, that's just cheating. That's not original. And, and, and I'm like, no, it's not because it is your story. And I come from an advertising background as well. Remember the amount of times that you see an ad on TV circulating or hear an ad on radio. At the end of the day, you've got to think like a marketer. If that message is about your brand, then you want to keep reinforcing that. I then saw him like and comment on the post that I reposted four weeks ago. And I said to him, do you remember me posting that? And he said, no. And I said, well, there's a repost. So I've proved my point. And he said, I didn't see that before. And I said, well, this is the thing. A lot of your first connections might have not even, even they were, if they were first connections, then might have not seen the post. And he said, yeah, no, I definitely didn't. So I dug a little bit deeper as well. I went back to that post and there he was commenting and liking that post. So we didn't even remember. So the fact that he you know, he didn't see it. He just didn't even remember. So yeah, I mean, I I'm now rewatching the whole of Seinfeld, and I've gotten my wife roped in to watch it from the beginning, and I still find it as funny or funnier than the first time. 
and, and so does the world because that show has been making I forgot the number I think it's sixty million dollars to Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David every single year based on reruns and I think even things if you remember it it's funnier or more entertaining because you know you kind of remember it because it's become an inside joke now and even if you don't remember you still see value in it so I think there's a bunch of stuff in there you know. You, not everybody sees everything you post. If they see it, they are unlikely to remember. And if they see it and remember, it's like, oh, Francisco just reposted this Fred Flintstone thing. I definitely saw this one. And you still get a like. They're going to scroll past the post, they'll get a like, and they'll move on. It's like, I'm not, I can't be bothered commenting on this one again. But but sometimes, as I'm sure, as I know happened to you, you post something that did okay the first time, and and now it just goes bananas. I did one. I mean, it didn't go viral or anything, but I there's this picture I have in front of the set of Friends as I'm I'm sort of playing guitar at Central Park, which is that cafe that they spent all the time playing. And I remember the first time I posted that, that got like 80 likes and 80 comments or something like that. It was an okay post. And I reposted with the exact same text. I didn't change a thing. And the last I checked, that was like 180 likes and comments and had gotten like 15,000, 16,000 views. Exact same post. Well, how, how long ago was it? A year, give or take. Okay, so you posted, reposted a year after. So you must have had more followers. Yeah, but not that many. But not that many. 20% more, maybe. Right, right. And and there's different things that happen. How many people are on LinkedIn? Which first percentage of your first connection see you? Because that's what happens with LinkedIn. It's like you post something and they test it to a small percentage of your first connections. If it does well, engagement-wise, then it gets pushed out further and further. So you that's one thing that we can never control. I had that recently. I... I but I did change the post, and the first time it did, 18,000 views, and I reposted the post without the image. So I had a screenshot of, because I was promoting my book, and I just took that out of it and just had the 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 writing, and that did like 250,000. And the reason why was because, because I added that picture, it took away, took away the most impactful thing of that post, which was the last line. So it kind of distracted the audience. So it's definitely well worth reposting, maybe without videos or different formats, carousels, and because people just, and that's another thing, people, different people consume content in different ways. Some people like reading, some people like watching videos, some people like carousels, you know, it's, it works differently for different people. When you're working with, with anyone, either in the story gym or, or directly, and when it comes to storytelling in particular, what do you find what is the most common difficulty or or the most common mistake that you see these students doing in the beginning what what do they what are they getting stuck on i think it's maybe just not having that structure it's almost you you you've got a you put pen to paper and you just write away and you're probably flooding with kind of anecdotes and details and stuff but there isn't a real structure there isn't that story arc which Every story needs an arc. Every story needs those elements. Like, yes, later on, you can bend them a little bit and you can change things around, but you need to have that foundational knowledge of what a story is and what makes a story. And I think it's just that. So I've had people come into the story gym or work with me and they, they're great writers. Going back to your point as well, I'm not a great copywriter, but I know story well enough. So. 
I've seen writers that have just, you know, write the beautiful with words, but the, it never gets to that point. It never has that climax. It never has that resolution. It never has that end kind of takeaway message. It doesn't have those stakes. It doesn't have a lot of those, you know, storytelling elements. Once they start learning that and rewrite and with that in focus, their content changes, their confidence changes, and they're able to write more and more. I think mainly it's that, it's that structure and also that emotional element as well. Every story has to have emotion. We have to elicit emotion at least. We don't have to tell an audience how to feel, but there has to be those certain things that that will elicit emotion, whether it's conflict, whether it's stakes, whether it's that transformation that people can resonate with. And once you you have those elements and you're aware of those elements, you'll start using that within your content. Yeah, what I find is, you know, I I think it's debatable, the people you're describing, if they are actually good writers or if they just have a good grasp of vocabulary and rhythm with the writing. Because because a lot of the things we're talking about that apply to stories apply to other types of of writing, and and I think the the mistake for a lot of them is they don't know what the point of the story or the post is before they start writing. If you don't know that, you've already started wrong because at some point you're gonna have to find the find the point, and and typically if you tack tacking that on at the end, it, it never feels, it feels like, okay, fine, you, you're really trying to hammer a point, to, to ram a point into this story or this piece of writing, but that's not what it was about necessarily. And a couple of other things you mentioned there, which are which are the stakes, which is a very storytelling word, I think. And I tend to say to people when, when you're doing sort of a checklist after you've written the, the stories, okay, why do the characters care about whatever's going on? Right, because if there's not a very clear pain for them, like you know this this thing, you know this project I'm trying to do for work, if this fails, this is terrible. Why? Because if that's not very clear, it's going to be very difficult to elicit emotion and empathy for the character. Because it's like, fine, you know, stuff goes wrong at work all the time, but is this the last one before you get sacked and your family depends on you to 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 pay the bills? Or, or it doesn't even need to be something as dramatic. It could just be. You know, you always thought of yourself as a as as really capable in your job, and now you had two bad projects. And if this one goes bad too, this might be you know the 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 last nail on the coffin of yourself of your professional self esteem. Exactly, and that, that you've hit on a point there. So that second part of that story was a little bit more that I think a lot of people would resonate with because. It wasn't just about that outer journey, right? You're talking about now that inner journey. It's like the thing that we all relate to. I think all of us do relate to imposter syndrome. I think a lot of us do relate to not having the confidence at certain parts in our life. I know that a lot of us relate to doing things for our family or our loved ones. And, you know, once you start adding those elements, which is what I call the human elements and the emotional side parts to your story that a wider audience will relate to, then it doesn't matter really what those details are going to be. It's those feelings that people are going to relate to. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. We don't relate. So when sometimes when we talk about story elements, we talk about uh, you know a relatable character. But the characters are not relatable for who they are 
typically i mean sure if you work in in a creative agency maybe that's relatable to me if you lived in the live or lived in the uk that's relatable you spend a lot of time on linkedin sure those things are all relatable but what's really relatable is how you feel and that's also much better because then you can make almost any character or or you relatable to almost anyone else because most people have the same the similar fears and similar challenges and and that's what i think people don't get if you keep trying to 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 make a character relatable based on external circumstances you have to become a fiction writer because there's just no unless you have a very niche audience and you are or were exactly like them but even so it's how you feel that they're going to find relatable because if you're always super capable and then you decide that my time is better spent being a consultant or coach instead of working for a corporate because I'm so good at this that I need to help other people, they're not going to relate to you. Right, exactly. But even even to that point as well, you know, you can write about something that's very niche and specific to your audience and maybe it'll work if you don't think about those other elements like those human elements. I, I think it's still hard. Let me take an example of a book that I picked up from a mentor of mine and a coach, uh, a guy called Marty Neumeyer. He's written a lot of books about brand strategy, and he's never written a story like a fictional book. So he decided to, I can't remember, a couple of years ago, might be a bit longer, he decided to write a thriller, and it was he positioned it as a business thriller. And in my head, I was thinking, Mm, I'm not feeling this. I'm not sure. But I love Marty's writing. And I know if anyone could pull it off, he could. I read it because I'm a brand strategist and I wanted to see how they were doing brand strategy in that story. But then he tapped into all of those human elements of all of these different characters felt and that just made it more real, you know, and it just made it more relatable on a human level. I think it's important that we do that. Now, on social media, it's very difficult to do that in short spaces and short posts. And I think that's going back to your question about, you know, the big mistakes people make, that we either try cramming too much into our stories or we make them, um, I'm refraining from saying this a little bit, is long-winded because I, I don't think there is a problem writing long posts if the story's right, but sometimes... We just write and write and write because we feel we need to get more and more in versus the right structure and the right way of writing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, the way I fix for myself and try to teach other people to fix the long, the, the, the supposedly long-winded issue is that I always say to people, you know, your story should start the best place to start a story is as close to the end as possible. Okay, so if you if you know what transformation your character is going to go through at the end, how close to that can you start the story? Because people and and what people a lot of times do is they don't start with with a, a scene or a moment as we normally call it, or they don't start with any type of action, and they don't start with dialogue. They start with exposition. And exposition is the worst way to start a story because it's so easy to feel that to explain the context, I now need to give you three paragraphs. Whereas I found with very practical uh, experimentation that I could turn a one-page story that I had in my public speaking book into a 15-line story on LinkedIn 
by having more dialogue. Because all the stuff that I felt I needed to explain about my crazy uncle and how he thinks he's the greatest cook in the world and all that stuff took ages as exposition. But between me and my brother having a laugh about the crazy stuff Uncle Victor did, it's just like you say two, three lines and you go, oh, is Uncle Victor at it again? Oh, you know how it is. And you get a feeling for the character. It doesn't need to be perfect, but you do cover the main points with that. So... I think sometimes that's the problem is people are, people are, they're not using dialogue, they're not using actual action. And then it's very difficult to relay all these things they think are essential, right? We've, we've talked about this before. A common friend of ours, Eddie from Very Good Copy, I say friend of ours, but Peeve, someone that we know well on LinkedIn, I actually had a conversation with him last week and we were going to get on a live together. I think Eddie was just saying, shall we just do an intro call? And we wish we recorded it because it went on for an hour. And I, 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 the reason why we didn't actually record it was because we're very similar in the way that I don't do many of these calls, actually. One of the reasons is because, yeah, I'm quite busy doing my other work if I'm not doing LinkedIn. The second reason, and I, sh- and I know I should, but the second reason is because I'm quite an introvert and Eddie was the same, I feel. And I... The reason why I write so well is because I have time to process my thoughts. Here, I've I've got better, but I feel like I try to fill in a lot. And I, a lot of people do that with their writing, I suppose. You're going to relate more to Eddie now, because Eddie, Eddie broke my heart, my podcasting heart. Because what happened with Eddie is I got in touch with him a while back. I think I, I got turned on to him, to his work through James Lorraine and Joe Watson. And I I, I love his stuff. I I signed up to his newsletter. I think he's an amazing writer. And we started talking about doing the podcast and and he agreed. This was the time he was about to have a kid. So, you know, we waited for the kid to be born and then I think he got COVID. So the thing kept being pushed back and pushed back. And then when we were like a week away from recording, I think he finally went and listened to my podcast. And he and he's like, oh, you know, it is it's very extemporaneous. You're clearly going in all sorts of different directions. It's not, you know, it's not like a very structured podcast in the sense that like I'll know all the answers to all the questions because you're not gonna throw anything out of left field to me. And and I and and I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't think I communicate well in that format. And I said, Eddie, I've seen you live and I've seen you writing. I'm pretty sure you're underselling yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm certain this would not be the case, but you know, he, he kind of what you said, he didn't feel that he would show himself in the best. Um, that That's how he communicates well. Yeah, and I totally get it because I'm, I'm exactly the same. And, and it's one of the reasons why I did started the Solo Shorts live, my live, which I should get you on as well. It was more to have less focus on me and focus on my guests because I knew I had to do more of this or I felt like I had to do more of this because I was on social media shaping my personal brand. Yeah, stories do well, writing does well, but I think there needs to be those other layers as well. Going back to uh, Eddie is a very smart guy, very good at what he does, very experienced, but I totally understand where he's coming from. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I love, I love, still love his writing. I haven't unsubscribed to his newsletter out of spite, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I totally get that some people don't feel comfortable in in ways that they're not used to communicating. I mean, he's not in not tons of podcasts and interviews. That there's a reason for that because I'm pretty sure he gets tons of of requests 
But I, I think people also sometimes, and I don't know if this is his case or yours, but I think sometimes people, they think that the, how, how they communicate in something like this, in a live, in a podcast, needs to be as precise and as, you know, I, they need to be as expressive on a live as they would be in their written work. And that and that is just clearly crazy. I'm nowhere near as precise as, I mean, for the people listening to the podcast, I probably am because there's some editing that goes on. But I start three sentences sometimes before I finish the first one. And I talk all over myself. It's just normal. It's just how people talk. And I remember in the beginning, I started trying to edit those out. And then you just sound weird. You know, that's just Sam Harris. No one speaks that way. People make mistakes. They trip over their own words. Uh, Sam Harris, for anyone who doesn't know, is a very well-known sort of intellectual in the US. And he speaks like he's reading an audiobook. It's kind of uncanny slash creepy at times. Most people don't communicate like that. We make mistakes all the time. Yeah. And that's why I think these podcasts or podcasts in general work, the longer form, because you have that space to just have that, that conversation and it just seems natural. So it doesn't feel like an overproduced thing. And and it, I definitely had to get my head around that. I felt like me coming on a podcast as a guest or as a host was I had to put on a show. And once you start doing that too much, yeah, there's the element of it. But once you start doing that, it starts becoming fake and it becomes less of what people came to here and that authenticity and that you know those that's why i think those audio conversations like whether it's clubhouse or twitter spaces and now linkedin audio work really well because it's that conversation people just want to eavesdrop into and you know they they don't they don't necessarily want to show every time yeah there's another angle to that or another approach which is something i do to some extent at least when i'm the guest and not the host which is and again we'll be back to stories if we get asked the same questions over and over again, which is very common when you go in a lot of podcasts, a lot of people ask about your story, they ask about the work you do with clients. And I'm not saying you're going to repeat the exact same stories every time, but it probably shouldn't be a brand new answer every time. So I get asked about how I got started into this, or how did I find about storytelling? So I've got two or three stories that work perfectly well. I can tell them in a couple of minutes. And if I get the same stock question, I just answer with one of those, depending on which one I'm feeling on the day. If I'm asked about the work I do with clients, I have some examples that I know explain perfectly what I do and don't take 15 minutes to to narrate. So sometimes I, people talk to me about like, I would like to go on podcast, but I don't know if I'm ready. And I'm like, one, you're being silly. Two, like what are the two or three most important things you want people to understand about you if you go on a podcast and you're being asked about your expertise? Okay, we just want to do these three things. Okay, fine. What's the best client example or, or story you have that illustrates that? And if you just work on that, you're, you've covered for the most important things and the rest you just feel free to improvise because it's just a normal conversation. I think many of us underestimate, especially when it's all the thing that we've been doing for a long time and we underestimate how much we do know. Again, that comes back to that imposter syndrome. You know, like I'm 40, am I 43, 44? Don't even know. I've lost count now. But, you know, I've been doing marketing, advertising, brand for years, like over two decades. Like there's there's something I know. 
But I still, the back of me, before it was that thing, it's like, I'm, am I really? Am I going to get caught out? Everyone has that feeling. Everyone that I've spoken to still has that feeling. And that's not a bad feeling to have. The idea that you're still a work in progress. I don't ever want to be complacent. I, I want to keep growing. I want to keep learning. And, you know, even now I read stuff on storytelling, like there's new ways of doing things. Yeah, the foundations are still thousands and thousands of years old, but the way we consume stories now with technology is all ever changing. So there's no way you're ever going to be the the expert with 100% knowledge. I think part of the reason we feel this, this, this imposter syndrome is to do with the fact it's to do with the Denning Kruger effect. So it's this, uh, this, this something that I believe has been proven by science that the more you know about a subject, the more you are aware of all the things you don't know, because you know the field of knowledge is is, is very broad and deep. And the less you know, particularly if you don't have much interest in knowing more, you tend to think you know enough, which is why People that have never done, say, marketing, for example, might have very strong opinions about what works and what doesn't work in their company's marketing. And they're talking to, to you, for example, and you know that you can clearly see that they, they have very shallow knowledge on it, but they feel very confident about it. They're expressing it very confidently. And you're thinking of all the, oh, no, but what about this thing? They're not considering this other thing. And there's this other case. So I think. If you take storytelling, for example, it's very difficult for me to, to, someone asks me about like, what's the best structure for a story, right? And I know that there's, I have to give them 25 different disclaimers before I can say this one is the best one. But someone who only knows the one structure is going to say, this is the best one. You do this one, this one's going to work 90% of the time. And sometimes that is the approach we need to take because otherwise people will think you're not sure. And it's just that you, there's just too many things to consider to be so decisive about it. Yeah. And on that point as well, it's, it's, it's the way I've learned storytelling is probably different. I'm having a guess here, but it's probably different to how you've come across story and learned storytelling. And another thing is you're a presenter. You speak a lot. I never do that. So there's, there's nuances there, ain't there? I've learned through script writing. So that's where my love for storytelling comes, you know, like that Hollywood formula of storytelling, where, I, again, I don't know how you've learned, you're probably aware of that way, but you might have learned in a very different way. Then there's the the idea that, you know, I tell everyone that we're hardwired for story, which is true to an extent, but there are also differences between the way some Eastern cultures tell story and Western cultures tell story. The ones that we're used to are the Western Hollywood style and those story arcs. For example, it's a lot about the individual and resonating with the individual. Some Eastern cultures have storytelling frameworks that are more about the collective and the community. Like, so if someone dies but sacrifices good for the whole community is better than a story that we're kind of used to seeing or re seeing on movies and reading books. So, yeah, there's a lot of differences. And it's interesting that you yeah, picked up on that, like the different ways of storytelling. How do you find that then? Is that, do you, how do you simplify it when you're working with your clients? Do you start with the basic frameworks and then introduce things later on? No, I, 
I used to be stronger on structure before, and and the structure that I usually explain to people, and I still ex- use this structure when it comes to typically presentations and and company strategy, for example. I just give them a structure which is before, but so after. That's it. So before things were life was one way, but then something happened, so we had to act because of it. And after that, life was different. Any story will, any good story will follow that one way or another because there's going to be change in the story. There's got to be a bit of a problem in the story. Almost certainly, there's something you did because of that problem. So, that is a very, very, very basic structure. What I tend to find with most people, and I've said this a ton of times on the podcast, is I find that most people get in trouble because they're trying to write a story instead of find a story. I think most cases you find a story, you you figure out a point, you take away everything that is not relevant to that point because otherwise you're just cramming too many things in the story, and then you just need to make sure you highlighted the right things. Have you highlighted the emotion? Have you highlighted why the characters care? You know the stakes of the story. Have you started as close to the end of, as possible? When you're doing those things, to me, it feels a lot less like writing a story and a lot more like taking stuff away to just leave what's absolutely the truth of the story. So uh, what I tend to do with people is is more of a volume approach where I, I want them to find lots and lots of different small stories and then put them together with a clear point and a, you know clear motivation for the characters. But... They say, okay, tell me the story, and they'll tell me to take five minutes. And, and they'll say, what's the point of that story? Okay, what do we need for that point? Okay, we need this. Do we need that other stuff? No, take it out. Okay, and just start taking it out, taking it out. And then you end up with something that is a lot tighter. And it's like, fine. That, that, you could tell that in 90 seconds. You could put that in a post, and it would work fine. You could do it on a video. And I tend to find that for most people, that is an approach to storytelling that that allows them to use it as a form of communication. Now, if they're trying to figure out their story, you know, their origin story or their signature story, that's a slight, there's a longer process that goes in there. That story is going to be more difficult to craft. There's going to be some writing involved. But I think a lot of people, they, they either don't have that, and that's not really what they're trying to do, or they should work up to that one or work with someone to get that one done. So, you know, I, I find that the, the templates and the structures, they work better as a checklist than necessarily a writing tool. So put it out. Does it more or less follow that structure? No, it's kind of all over the place. Okay, can we re- rearrange things so it's in the right place? I tend to find that that works a little better. I think you're right there. I think the biggest issue, like going back to that earlier question that you spoke to me about and now listening to what you just said, that is a common thing with the people that I work with as well. It, it, so structure is, you know, it's sometimes it's a revelation to them and it's like, well, this is a game changer. But really the first step is mining for those stories and finding those right stories. And sometimes we think about these stories that we have and you think, nah, that's not important. That's that. Well, not, not that's not important. It was important to me and it probably meant something to me. But people aren't going to be interested in that. That's what you think. But like you find most of the time when it is important to you and it did have that pivotal point for you in your life, you will find it will be important to someone else as well. Yeah, the the, the feelings and the fears and the frustrations, the failures, they're all common to one degree or another. We're all human beings. 
most of us, at least. There's some politicians that I think strain that definition. There's some lizards amongst this. <laughs> yeah, there's, there are some lizards for sure. But, but yeah, it, and this, this is what people don't get. This is what people don't get, is that have, what did you feel? Do you think other human beings occasionally feel that? Yes. Well, then it's a relatable story. As long doesn't matter if you're a, if you're a millionaire talking about this high stakes corporate merger, but you're getting imposter syndrome because this is going to make your company one of the top fifty companies in the world, and you're not really sure you're good enough. Even that very unrelatable character is still going to probably get other people going. Ah, oh, you know, we, I mean, this is not Elon Musk is a robot that doesn't count for him, but you know, Elon Musk feels the same way about this massive merger than I felt when I was taking on the biggest project of my career a few weeks ago. Huh, I wouldn't have thought that. And all of a sudden you feel differently about Elon Musk. So, and that's what, I think that's what people don't get. Totally, to 100% agree. I find, just changing the subject slightly, I find as well that you talked about that formula, what was it, the something before, but then and after. It's similar to the very simple framework that I use in my head. It's uh, character plus desire plus conflict equals transformation equals a story. So within that then is that reframing of something as well that I think is really powerful. And the reframe usually happens when it's we're tapping into that, that internal transformation. Like, you know, you thought about something in a certain way and then by the end of the story it was totally different and it actually changed your maybe how important that thing was for you like for example that's why the story about my skin really worked and resonated with people because it's like my skin was the bit external thing that I had to change but actually no it was how I viewed that and how I viewed myself and then like my skin has become irrelevant now because i've seen a much bigger transformation and that's just me fully being myself and fully happy with myself and you know that's one of the reasons why that post really did well and and changed my perception of linkedin as well because i got so many different messages in my dms in my comments the messages that really meant a lot to me was people saying how much it changed how they looked at themselves you know how they had confidence issues for different reasons, not because of obviously the skin thing. And I just thought that there's, you know, we talked about those elements that relate humans relate to. It, it was those things that really, and a lot of those people from back then are still followers of mine now, and they help push my content further. You know, that's a totally different story. But the fact that that's what really, on a deeper level, connected me with them and it helped them think about their own lives. And they're still here with me. Some of them joined my beta group. Some of them good friends like Michael Kirsten. You know, it was all through the power of story. I think I've read someone that might know a thing or two about stories saying that uh, a good storyteller reads your mind and writes your future. That might or might not have been you, Ash. Uh, <laughs> and and on that on that positive, encouraging, uplifting note, since we've come full circle to that email, 
and I realize we've both up against the time we, we expected for this to take. So if people want to find out more about the stuff you're doing, I mean, obviously they can look you up on LinkedIn. That's your, that's your main platform. Do you want to send them anywhere else or is that LinkedIn the place to go? Follow me on LinkedIn. It depends what they want because I'm not into just selling things for the sake of it. I like to have conversations with people. I've got my storytelling book. If it's specifically LinkedIn, if it's brand strategy, then let's have a conversation what, what it is that they need. I think that that's the best place. I'm one of those, like my main job is the agency that I've run. I've not even got a website or landing page for the storytelling stuff that I do. So it's always through just my LinkedIn profile and conversations that we have. For anyone who's in any doubt about that, I have no problem with just selling stuff. If you want the conversation, I can have the conversation, but I'm, I'm okay with just selling stuff. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have the qualms that Ash does. Oh, no, I don't have a problem with selling stuff at all. I just want to make sure that I sell the right things, right? <laughs> of course, of course, man. All right, man. I'm glad we recorded this one because the last time we spent an hour together, as as you did with Andy, we didn't record it. At least this time, it's it's there for posterity for anyone who who I'm sure will find some useful stuff in in this conversation. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. It, as you know, we've tried to get this in the diary for so long, and we did have a again. We had an intro call, didn't we? Which lasted an hour, which we didn't record that time so yeah no it's been really enjoyable thank you very much all right everyone thanks for tuning in take care of yourselves and until next time i hope you enjoyed the show and if you did i'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on the apple podcasts app it's very easy you open the app and find this show then scroll down a little and when you see the stars tap i'd really appreciate it and it does help other people find us and if you'd like to get in touch or find out more about what I do, reach out to me on LinkedIn or visit my website, storypowers.com. 